Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And this is my second interview with Randy Childress. And if you missed last week, boy, please go back and listen to it. He's got a fascinating story. He was telling us about his time being incarcerated and the, where we left off. Uh, it seemed like a miracle. It would look to me like uh, God's hand was in all of that. You got quickly transferred from maximum security to minimum security. And then when we left, you were in a car and they were taking you to the county jail. Welcome back, Randy, and tell us what happened from then on. Well, thank you for having me back, Paul. Well, I remember we left off. I, I had got approved to go to a county jail to be the cook. This was a shock. And I know I'm, I'm in the back seat of a sheriff's car. And there's two big burly deputies up front. They had been sent to pick me up. I'm handcuffed behind my back. And, and I haven't been handcuffed behind my back in years because of the security and stuff. And uh, I got to talking to them. And they got to ask me questions. And I got to talking to them. We got about halfway back. And they stopped and pulled into a, some type of restaurant. I'm not sure. It's one of these got the big buffets. Took cuffs off of me, and we all went in, and they bought me lunch, and we sat around and ate. I had on prison clothes, and they sat around with me eating and talking. And those two guys that picked me up that day, that was many years ago. One of them is retired, and the other one is now a detective, and uh, we're still friends. Wow. So, <laughs> God's just anyway, orchestrating all of that. I, yeah, absolutely. He gave me favor with, you know, and I can look back and I don't, I, I certainly do not take credit for anything because I, I mean, I'm, you don't go to prison for being a good guy. But, you know, uh, something happened to my mindset. Something happened inside of me. I don't know, but I just felt a calling on my life to do something. Uh, I never shared with you before. My I, my mother's still alive. She's 94 years old now. She told me ever since I was a young little boy that I one day would be a pastor. And I was like, no way, Jose. You know, and I've shared, you know, I became a bartender. I said, that's kind of like being a pastor, you know. You Council <laughs> people, yeah. Everybody's troubles and stuff. Yeah. Back in, you know, in years sure. back. But uh, anyway, I shared that because it plays out later. She told me. She told me when I, and this is kind of, it's embarrasses me a little bit, but she told me when I was incarcerated that she had a dream about me and because she was worried about me, obviously. I'm one of her children, and I'm the wrong man, but you know how that is. Mm -hmm. Mamas are mamas until forever. Right. And she was worried about me, and she said, but God, she said, I'm not worried about you anymore. She mm -hmm. said, I had a dream, and she said, God revealed to me that don't worry, he's my high child. High child. High child. That was the name she used, you know, and I was like, okay, that sounds good. So anyway, I went on and, and, and things happened and I get to this county jail. They And it's really, this. they got a new one now, but then it's in the basement. It's dingy. 
they were having food drives there because the food was so bad. Oh. So that's what I walked into. So I looked down. I, they let me call home. I called my mother. And I said, they transferred me to a county jail today, Mama. She said, where to? And I'll never forget. I looked around and I said, I think it's Mayberry. <laughs> <laughs> but I started working there and I started putting myself really into I started figuring out the routine of the prison. Had to cook three meals a day, seven days a week. Wow. Breakfast, you know, for a bunch of inmates. Well, I told the jailer, I said, I need the chief head jailer who I work directly for. I said, uh, we need to revamp this kitchen and change it up and change the food you order. Could I do that? Oh, no. All that has to be approved by the county commission. And I said, well, uh, can I talk to him? And he said, what? I said, can I talk to the county commission? He said, you want to go? And he stunned him. You want to go? talk?" I said, yes, sir. I'd like to talk to him. And he goes, I don't know about that. I said, what about I put some in writing and you take it to him? So he's okay with that. So I sat down on pencil and paper and I broke down to him how much, if they would let me spend more money, how much that broke down to per meal over a period of time. And that how also it would be a good idea to have a new stove, a new freezer, a new refrigerator, all this. And he took it to him and read it to him at a council meeting. That was like on a Friday. Monday morning, they maintenance men started walking in, drilling holes in the wall, tearing out, putting in new stoves, new refrigerators. He said, I don't know how you did that. He said, but they're giving you everything you asked for. <laughs> and, uh, the other jailers, you know, the correctional officers there, they said, how did you do that? I said, I asked. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we revamped the kitchen. The food got better. I contacted a local grocery store. I won't call their name at this time. I researched, and I knew they were throwing away, like when their pastries got a day old, they would just throw them away. So I said, why don't y'all give them to us, and it'd be a good publicity. So they started donating all their day-old pastries to us, and I started putting them on guys' breakfast trays and feeding them to the deputies, and they loved it. They loved it. You know, they were like, oh, man, it's great. Some guys didn't want to go home, I think. But but uh, anyway, that's, I started doing that. And I had been involved with AA, you know, while I was in prison as well. And uh, there was a man walked down one time, and he had a suit, shirt, and tie on. I didn't know who he was. And he was I, they had, I had a room right behind the little booking desk. They didn't have me living in the cell. They had me in a little room near the kitchen. And so I stayed up there in the front with the officer where people got booked in and all that. And uh, he walked in and he saw I had a Bible and an AA book laying beside my bed on a little table. And he looked at it and he said, do you use that for a coffee holder or you, do you actually read those books? I said, well, I use them for both. I read them and I do. I sit coffee on them too sometimes. He's huh. And he got to talking to me. And he ended up being the guy that was over what they call court referral in that county that referred people for their judges out to treatment centers and all that. Well, he and I became, he came down, he got talking to me, we became acquainted. And then he found out a little bit about me and he goes, you know, up on the third floor uh, by a court, because it's in the basement of the courthouse. He said, I have a group that meets up there every Friday evening 
that are people that's in trouble with the court system, you know, DUIs, you know, stuff like that. They have them pretty much everywhere in the country now, those type of things. And he got me to come up. He asked me would I come up and speak to them one Friday evening. And I did. I spoke to them, you know, kind of like a guest speaker type thing. And from that, they I ended up, they asked me would I come do that every Friday evening. And then I started doing that every Friday evening. Then he got permission to take me out to AA meetings with him. Then they went around the little city courts all over the county, and he got permission for me to go to them city courts with him. I put on some Indian clothes, and I would go sit, and I would help them. I would sign people up for programs, and I'd just sit over in the corner. And uh, people thought I worked for court referral. They had a color code system where you call in about being drug tested. They got me to be the guy on the recording. When people would call in, people didn't know, I'd go up and get on the phone, and I had information that was valuable. They let me know what colors were coming up, and I never told anybody, but I'd go up and I'd say, the color for today is purple, you know, and people call in, they have to go in for drug testing. And they didn't know it was the cook at the county jail that was putting all that on there. He trusted me to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of those meetings I went to, one of those AA meetings I went to, he had taken me out to this town and he asked the guy sitting there, he said, will you take Randy back home tonight? I says, because, you know, I'm going the opposite direction. The guy says, sure, where do you live? And I said, I live at the county jail. He said, you live at the county jail? You mean right close by there? I said, no, I'll live in the county jail. And he goes, oh. And so this guy's giving me a ride back to the jail that night. And uh, he runs a little small, at the time, a little small uh, substance abuse program where people went, you know, come to outpatient and all that. He was a, he's a social worker guy, a recovering guy, and he was just getting started with his own counseling. And we got to know each other, and he finally he found out, you know, a little bit about me, shook him up a little bit. But we got to know each other through meetings. He offered me a job. And I said, I don't know if I can do that. So he offered me a job, paying job. His office is right across from the courthouse. So they let me do that. And they'd have groups like three nights a week. So I would cook on those days. You know, I'd cook like I always did. I'd take a shower and I'd change into a certain time. I had a briefcase and I'd go out of the jail, walk across the street. And I had an office. I'd get a key. I'd go in. I had an office and I ran that outpatient treatment center at night. They was, I had a, they was, I had like, quote, the kind of same thing as a secretary that took care of my paperwork. And I don't, was, even, I don't even think she knew where I come from. Was there a jailer who'd go over there with you or they just let you go? I just walk over there by myself. Wow. No, 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 they didn't. No. And one thing about it, when, when class was over at night, everybody left and I locked up, I'd walk right back up to the jail and walk in, turn myself in put all my stuff up, change back into my jail clothes. And I did that for two years. That is kind of like Mayberry with, with the guy who would come and let himself in. They they trusted me so much. The sheriff got to liking me so much that, you know, well, another thing that when I started doing that counseling thing, I was just helping. Well, that guy was a connected with the state certification board. And he says, why don't we see about getting you certified? He said, because you got all that experience to that program in prison. And he put me up for certification at the certification board. And I ended up 
you know, years later, I became president of that board for like 10 years. But, <laughs> but they, they just, they got people then, some of them's dead now. They looked for a reason not to approve me because they were kind of like scared. We've never approved an inmate before, mm-hmm. but they looked in their bylaws and they, had, they said, there's nothing in here. All it says is you got to have be working in the field. I was working in the field. You got to have so many years of experience. I had so many years of experience. And I said, you get, but you have to go for a verbal oral exam. A deputy took me for my oral exam and sat in the waiting room. I passed that. And then they said, well, he'll never pass the written test. So you have to wait 90 days. 90 days later, they took me down for the written test. And uh, a guy that I know now who runs a big court system, me, he and I took the test the same day. And he used to tell me, he says, I remember that day we took our test and they, they give you like four hours to complete it. Well, I finished it in 45 minutes, got up, put my stuff up, walked out. And he told me, he said, I looked up and, and didn't know you then. He said, I saw you walk out. And he said, I'll never forget. He said, I thought to myself, either that guy gave up and quit or he's done. If he's done, I'm in trouble. Uh-huh. And I was like on question 10. But <laughs> that's just the way I always take tests. I just mm-hmm. do them fast like that. But I passed, and they sent me a certificate. I'm still certified by that board today, and it's affiliated with NADAC, which is a national organization. And I put it, I hung it on the wall in my room in my jail cell. And I ended up being a certified counselor. I, the only one so far in the states that have done that. And I'm still—I don't want any of this to sound like I'm any way glorifying myself. I'm just stating what happened, you know. And I—I I got to know that guy, and well, he gave me my first when I came when I finally was approved uh, for parole. They I stayed there at the jail two years and eight months, and I came up for parole there uh, my fifth time. And uh, jailers went down there from my hearing. They have the hearing at the Capitol, at the pro place, and I don't get to go. I had pastors show up. I had a jailer, a deputy sheriff show up. A whole bunch of people showed up and spoke for me. And uh, they freed me. I never will forget. They called me on the phone on the way back, and they said, you're getting out. Well, uh, boy, it gives me chills now. That day was... That was something. I went that night. Somebody comes to the jail, and they're from a car dealership. And they said, "Is Randy Childress here?" And I'm sitting there with that jailer, and he goes, "Why?" He goes, "Well, we have a new pickup truck out here that his wife has sent to him, and that keys to a new pickup, and it was in the parking lot." So me and I'd already went and got my driver's license there at the jail because they told me. That was another thing. I went down and took my driver's license test and I had a deputy sheriff sitting in the back seat and the state trooper over here while I was taking my driving <laughs> test. <laughs> they told me, when I went to get my license, they said, they looked and seen how old I was and they says, has it been over a year since your license expired? I said, yes, sir. Two? Yes. Then he went on and he said, five? Yeah. He says, you got up to about six or seven. He goes, where have you been? I says, uh, in prison. And all of a sudden, they got kind of serious with me. But I passed the test, got my driver's license. And so me that night when they came in, the jailer left, one of them. He went out and took it and drove it around town and tried it out. 
<laughs> but well, my wife was smart though. She didn't just outright buy it. She bought it and co-signed and made sure and put my name on it so that when I got out, I'd have to pay for it. Make the payments on it, you know what sure. I mean? And I did. I paid it off. So did you get married while you were incarcerated? Well, that's another thing. We were seeing each other regularly. And she'd come to the jail, and we decided we was going to get married. But I told her, I said, I will not get married if I'm not outside. You know, I'm not going to do this jailhouse stuff. Well, we found out I was going pretty much that I was pretty, getting close to getting out of there. And this is, I, they had got to where they were giving me weekend passes some. Um, I'd really? go home. And, yeah, I popped in on my mother one time. I hadn't seen her in 12 years. <laughs> and I was just standing there. And she said, how did you get here? And I said, I rode with her. That was my wife. They're like tight. Anyway, they so it, it, amazing. I mean, it's all this stuff just guys overwhelming, really. Well, we went to Gatlinburg in Tennessee and got married. On a weekend pass? Yeah. Well, they gave me a week. They gave me a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They said, they said, they said, yeah, well, uh, if we get, I remember the first time they gave me a pass, it was like Christmas, and they were giving the, some of the misdemeanor inmates like day passes and overnight passes. And they came, and some one of the head jailer, one of the main jailers, heard that, and he, he said, Hey, Cook, he always called me Cook. Hey, Cook, did they say they were giving you a pass? I said, That's, I never had a pass. I said, No, sir. He goes, I can't believe they're giving all them misdemeanor and not giving you a pass. And he went up and spoke for me. Well, the next thing, and in, in the, they talked to the sheriff, and they said, the, the sheriff asked the guy, well, I'm all, am I allowed to give him passes? And they said, you're like his warden. You can give him a pass if you want to. He said, uh, well, if y'all think he deserves a pass, give him a pass. So the guy come down and said, uh, if I let you go home for a couple of days, you got anybody come get you? I said, they'll be here in 20 minutes. And he said, uh, well, what if I give you three days? I said, oh, man, that'd be awesome. He said, what about four? I said, he said, what about a whole week? I said, I can do that. <laughs> so they gave me a week off, and I had a buddy trained anyway who covered for me in the kitchen. And we went to Gatlinburg and got married and stayed in the cabin and enjoyed the week. I came right back exactly like I was supposed to, walked right back in, turned myself in. But then it was just a matter of maybe a month or two that I finally just got released. When the day that I made parole, they called me on the phone, the folks coming back, and they said, Randy, you made it. Of course, I sat down and started crying. I'm about to cry now. <laughs> and I uh, I gather I, I'm a jokester too. I gathered up all my cooking stuff and I went up to the chief jailer and I said, Bill, his name was Bill. I said, Bill, I made parole. I said, I quit. <laughs> I hated him my stuff. And he said, You quit? I said, Yeah, man. I said, No more work for free, brother. I quit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm laughing at him. He said, Well, if you ain't going to do nothing, let's go see the sheriff. And walked over to the sheriff's office. He said, Sheriff Cook's getting out on parole. So he said, He quit. And they laughed at me, and they said, because you have to usually wait two weeks before you get your paperwork. He said, well, if you ain't going to do nothing, go home. And he said, just check back every Monday till we get your paperwork. So I walked out that day, packed my badge, got in my new truck, and drove to 
I didn't tell you this. I had a new home built while I was there. Brand new home. I drove up to my new home, got out, went in, sat down. Wow. After 15 During years. this time, my wife had moved up there in that area, and we had bought a brand, had a house built, had it, be, I mean, a brand new house. It's one that I had was told years before when I was at the Madison Security Prison. A friend of mine, uh, one of my mentors named Bob Kennington, he's passed away now, and we caused him, I always called him Positive Bob because he taught about always being positive. He was an ex-convict himself, had a recovering heroin addict. He said, Randy, visualize in your mind what you want and do do what you got to do to get it. He said, if you run into a roadblock, he said, just readjust the course. That's what he taught me. And he said, visualize in your mind what you want. So I visualized this house with a wraparound porch, country style, out of the country, certain kind of car I wanted in the parking lot, I mean, in the driveway. And a dog. So I, he said, picture the, I picture the dog. And I promise you to this, I, before God, the day I left, I drove home in my new pickup. But I pulled up in front of this house that looked just like the house I'd visualized. And there was a car sitting in the driveway, too, that I had besides my truck. And it was a Cadillac. And... The dog sitting on the porch was a bulldog, just like I pictured in my mind when I was in prison. And that's what that's what I stepped into when I left prison jail that day. And when I went to work for the same guy that was working me part-time, you know, he hired me full-time immediately. So I went straight to the office and went to work. And yeah. I had two – he put me in charge of two offices. And as time went, he made me his uh, – clinical manager and then, of course I ended up working with him off and on over the last 30 years. So one of those offices that you started back to work was that the same place right across the street from the jail? Yeah yeah but he, I moved over to another town I took over these other two offices wow. in two other towns and then as time went on as years went by he became very successful in, uh, his, in his business and I ended up being the clinical director over 10 places and you know, and then I worked at a place where I was executive director and oversaw the building of a brand new facility and just so much, even after I got out, that it's still going on, you know. I mean, that reminds me of, of Joseph and back in the book of Genesis, being in jail and, and getting out and being put in charge of everything and, and then helping all kinds of people. People have brought that to my attention. And, you know, until the, I'm older, look, I'm older now, and I'm, it's not earlier people would try to get me to they want me to write a book and i, I said no I, I don't want to glorify anything that i any wrongdoings or and i was kind of i'm so I'm kind of ashamed to even talk about all that stuff and then even the good stuff i, I find myself I, not so much now but in the past i feel myself kind of being embarrassed about it you know what i mean i don't know if you can get that i don't i didn't want anybody, i didn't want anybody to feel like i'm show oh look at me you know that sure. kind of thing because it's, yeah. it's just it's really i mean honestly it is truly humbling to me the things that have happened in my life and continue to happen i mean i almost died in 2009 of a heart surgery randy all of this is it's so obvious that it's god uh, doing and 
God's hand on you. And uh, with your permission, since we're out of time again, <laughs> we'll... Oh, it takes a while. Th- that's wonderful. We'll we'll close up and then uh, we'll come back and do uh, another episode that people will see a week later. And, and we'll tell about then how you've been helping people since then and, and what God's continuing to do in your life. And But before we do that, uh, tell people again how they can get in touch with you, how they can connect with you. Sure. Uh, you can contact uh, our ministry or their website at www.graceministriesatrafa, all one word, dot com, or just contact me through my email at chaplain170 at gmail.com. We'll be Perfect. glad to get back with you. Perfect. And I, and I know people will be contacting with you. So we're going to sign off for now. We'll do the next episode, which people can hear a week later and hear more about your incredible journey. So thanks again, Randy. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.